Welcome again to the Southwest Climate Podcast. It is October 2nd, a few days after the official end to the 2015 monsoon season. Believe it or not, in October, the monsoon season is over. It's over. It doesn't feel like it with all the... No. All the, the, the moisture still around. It's still hanging out, yep. So as always, I'm here with uh, Mike Crimmins, and Mike's going to um, you know, provide us with a number of insights on uh, the recap of the 2015 monsoon season. So we're going to talk about uh, sort of a month-by-month picture, and I think we did part of this a little over a month ago, sort yeah. of a mid-season monsoon report. I think we did a little bit of a recap in August, but we'll try to try to wrap it all up, put a bow on it today. We're going to put a bow on it because we're now going to be transitioning into yep. the winter season, although there's, you know, obviously the, the hurricane season. Still lurking still, at, our, at our doorstep. Yeah, yep. uh, but the monsoon is over, and uh, by some accounts, many accounts, as all monsoon seasons are, there was some nice novelties to it. Yeah, winners and losers. Winners yes, and losers. Uh, I'm going to do my best to sort of give the, the the big picture for Arizona. And so if you look in aggregate, oh, about 40% of the state experienced below 75% of average. And another 45% of the state experienced about near average precipitation. And then uh, a, a small portion, maybe 10%, was slightly uh, above average or above average. As a whole, I think we can characterize that as Mike, how would you characterize it? I know, and you, you ask me every time. I keep dragging out C, yeah. C plus effort. The second half of August and the September didn't change anything from the, from the last report. No, because it, it's a bit, it's actually cheating, quite honestly. I think the monsoon cheated because it technically wasn't really monsoon precip we were picking up. I mean, if, if you want to parse it, this was really tropical storm uh, activity and tropical storm moisture, which is part of most you know, most monsoon seasons can end that way, mm. but honestly, it was really, we were kind of transitioning and, and picking up, uh, it was monsoony, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't End of September, credit. you're, you're referring I'm even to. talking early September, mm. <laughs> quite honestly. Much of our activity in September was, was, uh, tropical transition type activity. Well, so that, that's actually a curious feature of, of this monsoon is we were bookend by tropical influence. Absolutely. So we had initially the, the monsoon season, if people recall, kicked off earlier than meteorologically average. So, and this is where it's been such a, a mess. I think if you talk to people here in the Southwest, we haven't had some of our um, normal climatological cues here since last winter. Like we didn't really go into a deep hot, dry spell from April, May, and June, which we typically, you know, I've been here for 15 years now and you get into April and you know, your days are numbered, right? And you know that the, cl- the cloudless days are coming and the humidity is going to drop and the heat's going to build. And you either like that or you don't. And this year it was all confusing because through May, the, the daily temperatures uh, on average actually went down slightly because <laughs> it got wetter yeah, we had crazy weather in the spring. Crazy weather. And then that actually transitioned into the beginning of June where we had, we tangled with a couple of very strong uh, record, early record strong hurricanes in the East Pacific and were able to um, pull moisture up in here. And, the, you know, the first week of June, last week of May, first, first week of June are climatologically the driest points of time in the year for the Southwest. And, you know, we, we shattered, remember we talked about shattering the records with a trace of rain. In early June, and that, that was that was part of that early season moisture. So it was it was a mess and a, a real confusing start to our monsoon season in June. So let's do this month by month. Okay. So in June, where it typically, as you said, is dry, bone dry, oftentimes. Yep. Um, we had some some events that caused, if you're looking at 
maps of percent average that caused the, those Ugh. maps to, to yeah they just went they went insane i think they we for were, all over arizona yeah, and we, actually up into uh utah and, and southwest colorado yeah like the percent of average calculations were non-functional at that point when, <laughs> when, when the percent of average is zero so they they couldn't even you know they, they were unbounded at that point so june june was an, an anomalous month june was weird in a, i think in a couple of respects was that that early season moisture humidity built in early but then it actually got back into monsoon mode kind of middle of the month and mm-hmm. we dried out we heated back up and we were now then progressing into a, a more normal sort of monsoon ridge progressing north and by the end of the month we actually were in a true monsoon pattern and picked up some real robust and good activity towards the end of uh, at the end of june so it, it's it kind of it started a little bit early um, and was a real good marked start to the monsoon season. Yeah, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna quote you here because I'm okay. reca- recalling what you said. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. You're like El Nino is here, and I'm very worried about the monsoon. I know, and I was, and so I, so I we'll think answer that. We'll answer. Okay, this. Yeah, all right. Before we so, get and we yeah. get there, but so okay, so June. Now let's progress into into July, and as a whole, July the southern parts of Arizona, southeast Arizona was uh, experienced some rain above average rain for the month of for the month of July the white mountains the the higher elevations as well but you know further west in the phoenix area and even parts of the four corners region were were fairly dry so yeah. as typical in a monsoon season you get a, a fair amount of spatial variability and you could see that some of the the big cities in Arizona Tucson picked up some pretty frequent and good activity early in July. And um, Albuquerque actually had their single um, biggest rain event in the first two weeks of July, which was up like, I think like one and three quarter inches. And that um, was the beginning. And it got quite quiet after that point in, uh, in Northern New Mexico. Well, in Tucson, I'm looking at the Tucson International Airport one, and it did receive its biggest uh, precipitation event in at the end of July. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember some of those storms kind of rolling through the area that that was that was our uh, it was an interesting month in the sense that the activity and this is this is where I was completely wrong, because that was when we should have had that El Nino signal. We should have had like I thought that the the um, onset of the monsoon that was was really strong in the end of June was was a bit of a uh, aberration. Like it was just like that. Uh, we're we're done for once we get in July, and then we went through July, and the activity was very frequent. It's you know of the frequency you'd want to have. It was every couple of days. It was kind of spread all over the place. And um, if you remember too, temperatures um, stayed very mm. near average. I think overnights and um, Max daily temperatures were, were pretty close to average for that month, which we haven't seen in a long time. So it was just like, it just, it kind of did a, it was, it was a pretty good solid monsoon signal through most of July. I know, and I know, as you said, some places didn't, didn't pick that up, but, but there were some places that did quite well through that period. And then into August, the South, the Southern part of the state and the South, much of the Western part of the state actually was, was fairly dry. Of course, the higher elevations, uh, in the White Mountains area and, and near the four corners of the area, it fared much better in terms of percent of average precipitation. Yeah. But August was by and large a, a drier month in July. A lot of the big events seemed to um, hang out in the northern part of the state, and it left a lot of the southern part of the states a little bit slower and a little bit drier. And we even had a couple of pretty pronounced breaks in August, third week of the month, Almost the whole state of Arizona, anyways, um, recorded no precip on a couple of days, which is hard to do. And, mm. you know, climatologically in the monsoon season, we peak as far as precipitation rates and accumulation and activity in August. Right. And it, got, it was a little bit on its head 
again this year was the activity was a little bit more stable earlier in the season. Then August become, became a bit of a mess of sort of waffling around. And that was also when we had that um, record heat spell in the middle of the month where I know for a fact, you know, Phoenix and Tucson set some daily records uh, that were quite miserable, uh, if you remember back to those days. And then it picked up a little bit more at the end of the month, um, but again, wasn't exceptionally good or bad by that point. For the most part, this monsoon, there was no areas that received ex- exceptional rain. Yeah, I remember remember last summer when, you know, out of the gate, some of the southern cities or southeast Arizona um, cities were just absolutely, they're getting hit every night and they were picking up an inch or two every night. And- that we had a little bit of that in the end of June, a little bit in July, and I think that was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be this is this is crazy. We're going to try to do something like we did last year in a pretty solid El Nino summer, and it it didn't. It fell apart. Southeast Arizona actually slowed way down right. um, after July, and and really dried out quite honestly. And then some of the activity moved north and uh, was more frequent up there. And then September flipped it again a little bit, and the southern part of, of Arizona experienced uh, f- a fair amount of precipitation above average in some places on the order of 200%. Yeah. And that, that the September activity, there's like two pronounced things that I can think of that happened in September. One of them was the knockdown drag out flooding in Yuma, mm. um, in Somerton, north of Yuma. And remember we were, we were talking in August, well, Yuma hadn't recorded any precipitation by that point in the whole summer. Last year, and even the summer before that, um, the lower Colorado River Valley was picking up precip really early and really frequently. So it was really unusual. that I, It's not unusual for it not to rain Yuma. That's quite normal. But it had been such a stretch to not see any precip. And then, bam, they had the crazy dew points sort of settle in there. And I can't remember what the triggering mechanism was, but there was um, just some storms that sat over Yuma and just north of Yuma. And some areas picked up over four and a half inches, five inches of precipitation in uh, a couple hours in that area. So they went from nothing to well over annual totals in just a couple of hours down in that region. So that that was, you can see in the September precip maps, really being dictated by a couple of events. And then on uh, September 21st is when Tropical Depression 16E wandered up here in a very, very similar fashion to Odile last year. And carved almost the same path as Odile, but a little bit further north. So two twenty miles, twenty yeah, 20 really twenty five miles, and, th- and that's where you see like uh, Mount Graham in uh, southeast Arizona. Some of the estimates are up over four inches of rain with that particular event. And for the Tucson airport, that's the event that pushed it over hundred uh, percent. It was it was the the cramming of the monsoon to do a little bit of makeup work at the end there, and as we were talking, we don't actually know what the official total is. It's a it's a minimum. That's right because <laughs> the, the the station broke. So some, something happened with the software, on, oh, the software on the recording of the tipping bucket gauge, which is the official observation. Something happened software wise, and it stopped recording about midday, and the afternoon was quite heavy. So it could have been several more tenths, half, maybe over another inch on top of that, which would be on top of the official total in Tucson of 6.63 inches. So, but the funny thing is, is that the, the actual rain gauge observations were continued to be, they were recorded by FAA officials, but can't be entered into the official National Climatic Data Center total. So it's known, but it's, it's almost like we have to put an asterisk by it, right? On the uh, Hall of Fame uh, <laughs> records there. There was a lot of novelties to this monsoon. I want to get to that. But yeah. by some metrics, it was 
the metrics that I originally presented that we just talked about, it was kind of ho-hum. I mean, 40%. Which was my forecast, with, right? <laughs> it was kind of ho-hum. I mean, by yeah. some metrics, but yeah. uh, let's, let's talk about some of the nuances. But the ho-humness of it is, broadly speaking, there wasn't a lot of uh, area that experienced exceptional uh, precipitation. Much of it, uh, about half of the area fell between at this near average mark between yeah. 75 and 125% of yeah. average. And then, you know, close to 45% more was, was, was below, right. was below average. Of course, most of that was going to be in, in the Western part of the state. Now, let, so what, what are some of the novelties that, that, that you've picked up? I mean, for one, for me, it's been persistently, the dew point temperature has been above average. The daily average dew points here in Tucson, we, we can look at some of our dew point tracking tools that the weather service have down here. We got sucked in with, with moisture in early June and had very few dryouts and breaks, which often are kind of welcome, right? I mean, when um, if you can do that and give yourself a little bit of a break during the monsoon where the dew points will drop off into the, the low 40s even or 30s. Especially for people that don't have air conditioning. Exactly. Or have, yeah. only, uh, have swamp only swamp coolers. coolers. And then you'll actually see the minimum temperatures sort of um, rebound. They'll come back down and give you a little bit of a, a cool off. But that's, I think, part of the story for this summer is even if it wasn't raining every day, it was humid. And that kept overnight temps up because um, they're, they're just not going to be able to go down unless those dew points drop. That highlights a couple other novelties. One of them is it was fairly warm. Uh, yeah. And at, at Tucson, it was the second warmest uh, monsoon season on record. On record, yeah. I believe Phoenix had the fourth warmest on record. Mm-hmm. A lot of stations that we've looked at uh, were in you know the, the upper part of their, their records in terms of heat. Another thing is, as far as dew point temperatures, the, uh, the, the, the weather service historic, or in the past had defined the onset of the monsoon when dew point temperatures cross this sort of magic 54 degrees Fahrenheit. They don't use that anymore. We've talked about this in the past. In a way, that actually helps us, uh, I think, bound uh, yeah, I know. what the monsoon right. is. because It helps us schedule our podcast, actually, is what I think was really convenient. I mean, there's a lot of defini- definitions out there. You yeah, know, you can go all the way back to you know Ramage's classic 1971 I, I, definition. I know. I'm, I'm running home to read that actually <laughs> um, after this. Yeah, book on monsoons. But I know 120 uh, degrees shift in uh, um, under the Christmas tree. of winds. Although the under that definition, I, I believe the Southwest monsoon is <laughs> would is never not, occur. <laughs> is not considered a, a monsoon. Right, right. But in terms of this 54 degree uh, Fahrenheit dew point temperature uh, here in in Tucson, the dew points cross that. Shortly after, looks like at June 24th. I don't know. What does it look like for earlier in the month? Could we technically have started the monsoon in like June 1st? If oh, we were to use yeah. That no, it pops above for a few days. Yeah. It pops really high, actually, up to about 65 degrees Fahrenheit right before around uh, June June 10th. I know. And I, I think if we were to use the definition, we could have been in record territory if we were to still do that. Because I think the earliest on date with the old... Definition is June 18th for, wow. for Tucson. So we may have actually pushed that. And again, that, that was part of the problem using the dew point definition is that these things happen. And we would have been into a, just a mess of rebuilding the monsoon structure and it would have been dry for two weeks after. Right, because so, then the dew points dip, dip back down. They did, to because they were, they, were artif- they, were, they were not, that moisture incursion was um, the product of a decaying tropical storm and a late season kind of low pressure system off the coast, which can hang out in that time of the year, but typically they don't do much other than sort of make it windy and dry and hot here. But this year we had so much moisture in the East Pacific and a tropical storm to work with that that typical pattern actually slugged a bunch of moisture up here, which wasn't monsoonal at that point. It's interesting, by the end of June, 
the tropics, East Pacific tropics died. They stopped. Yeah. And Here it um, is. the Madden Julian oscillation, we'll get into that, got into um, the, the, the phase that would favor East Pacific storms early in the month. And then it switched over and became very unfavorable in the East Pacific. And that's actually, when it's unfavorable, then the monsoon ridge actually responds and pushes north. Right. So it was that interplay was that that actually gave us this, this chance to build the monsoon ridge by having the tropics shut down, which is part of the El Nino-La Nina connections in sort of the long run. Yeah. So Blanca was then the cause of the uh, first spike in dew points. Yeah. And, and, and Blanca and Carlos were on the heels of each other. So yeah, Carlos helped. happened June 10th through June 17th. Yep. Yeah, Blanca and, happened May 31st through the 9th. Mm-hmm, yep. And I think Blanca was the one that actually caused the record trace amount of precipitation in Phoenix on um, <laughs> that first week of June when they, they broke their daily record. And then some real rains actually came out of it too. Carlos was the, I think Carlos was the one that as it decayed and wandered off to the west as it normally did, it interacted with a low pressure system and then strung a, a big bunch of moisture up here kind of atmospheric rivery looking and um, was enough to fire off some storms in June. Okay. Ahead of the monsoon season. Around June 24th ish, when that the dew point temperature sort of crested and stayed above the 54 degrees Fahrenheit. We were in full on um, like uh, Gulf moisture surges at that point. Like the real deal had sort of kicked in. But one of the novelties that I wanted to point out is from that point onwards until about September 18th, only five days, the dew point dipped below that, that 54. It's so a, normally amazing. you get more yeah. monsoon breaks yeah, yeah. or more and, duration. And again, I think it has to do with the characteristics of the flow pattern of this monsoon season. Okay. I think there's two things here. So there's a ton of moisture in the East Pacific and in the subtropics just south of us. And it didn't seem to matter what direction the wind was out of, as long as it had some southerly component to it it dragged moisture up here. And so we were able to do that. And so under what we would consider less than ideal monsoon circulation pattern, meaning like the Four Corners High is out of place. Like the Four Corners High wandered over to Nebraska a lot this year. And then typically when it does that, or it wanders south, like over to Texas, we get into a a more of a southwesterly flow. And that's usually pulling in dry air from the Pacific. And those are the days that it gets hot again and it dries out and we see the break in the dew points and then it gets sunny and we're just kind of waiting for the high to rebuild. But this year, that flow direction um, had ample moisture to tap into. So it didn't really matter that that the monsoon ridge was out of place. It was still able to drag moisture up in here really consistently. So that, that circulation pattern was wandering kind of all over the place, but it was it always had something. It always had the sort of garden hose atmospheric moisture kind of left on and was able to sort of direct it up towards us. So is that ample moisture at all related to the to El Nino? I, I think so. Um, well, yeah, it is. Yeah. Then I want to follow up with okay. your quote okay. about the, mon- the El-, okay. El Nino's here, right. and I'm really worried about the monsoon. Okay, so as we've been waiting for El Nino's up for two years now, we've watched the East Pacific change, and we've watched the East Pacific off of the coast of Mexico and California coast get record warm, right? And that's been sort of the building in what I think has been identified in some of the recent research too as a precursor pattern to very big El Nino events. Some of it is the the lack of upwelling along the coast of North America. Some of it is actually these um, little waves that have originated from El Nino and actually push warm water up into the region. But having that extra warm water and having it above sort of threshold temperatures 
it starts to give off moisture to the atmosphere rather than be sort of a cooling mechanism mm -hmm. and sort of stabilizing mechanism. So I think it's been a, it's been a moisture source that we don't see every year. And especially over the last 15 years, that a lot of that area has been cooler than average, probably associated with the La Nina's. Right. And um, so I think it's a new, it's a new, new piece of the puzzle that we've had in play um, this year. So some, and some people have suggested in some of the research too, is that having all that warm water is actually, it can stop Gulf surges and inhibit them a little bit, but we've had so much moisture, I think in that region, it's just been, it's been an ample source. We've been able to tap into it pretty regularly. That actually highlights what a lot of people have been talking about for a while now when it comes to ENSO and particularly this year, because it's, it's such a strong El Nino event that's developing. Perhaps, you know, it's, it looks like it's going to be a top three. We've talked about this um, before, uh, at least the top three with the pervasiveness of the warm water across the, the, the Pacific ocean. It's, there aren't a lot of analogs for yeah, I think that that's where right. We've, where we've been. Yeah. So your statement about, you know, I'm worried about yeah. the monsoon because of El Nino. I was right. You, yeah, you, <laughs> you, you were right. But I will dance around this one. All right. So the monsoon flow pattern was consistent with what you'd see during a strong El Nino event. The monsoon ridge was displaced to the east. It was weaker. But we see in our in the, kind of the past research, when that happens, it's typically, I think, been interacting with a drier East Pacific Right. And so right. I think, it, like you said, in our, we, we don't have a lot of good analogs. So this one's actually going to go in the record books as we kind of rerun all these analysis with the El Nino, La Nina composites and how they play with the, the monsoon. You're like, oh, here's another <laughs> here's another possibility where, you know what, you can actually make rain out of this pattern, which you, is really kind of cool for us to see this sort of play out. I wonder if you did that. I wonder if you put like all the sort of ensos in, in a bin and tried to figure out what what are how many different patterns there are for for those what 25 events or so what are you doing over lunch <laughs> can we do it can I we do it in that time why not let's see if we can give him a shot i never do, i agree i, I never do analyses that quickly uh, i don't either but we could talk about it over a beer i think that that would be the fun part of it no i agree and that's that's i think also the sort of suggests that we read all these great papers that have done analysis but as we get every new year here it, it really argues to kind of go back and look at some of these things and say okay here's the one that didn't fit the pattern or Yes, these these sort of composites are still solid and they, they make sense. So, it, which I think is the fun thing about sort of climate research is, is that once we go back a year from now and we start to really dissect what happened in the last two years, we can go back to the drawing board and see how consistent our understanding was from prior to this event to it was after. And to me, this has been a huge learning experience because it, it was like, oh yeah, it did what we thought it would do, but it didn't give us the result of having a kind of a knockdown dry out situation. Like, you know, what I was concerned about was 2009 happening again. And Arizonans um, may remember August of 2009 of how the monsoon started and then stopped again as an El Nino was under, was forming. And there was a lot of talk with like, oh, we, we kind of knew this was gonna happen. The ridge fell out of position, we dried out. It was terrible, terrible August. Not all that unlike this this year, but that was so dry and stood out so much. The drought actually, short-term drought crept up really, really quickly in that situation, which was then reversed in the following winter when we picked up our El Nino precipitation as that El Nino event was forming. So that, that was part of it was like, uh-oh, a little nervous about it, but we seem to have overcome it. Okay, so a few novelties. I mentioned temperature. Um, we talked about the sort of pattern of sea, that the anomalously warm sea surface temperatures across the Pacific. 
uh, while the atmospheric circulation was maybe as expected given the strong El Nino event, the outcomes were, were different for different reasons for mm-hmm. the perhaps are related to the sea surface temperatures. Another thing that was, uh, was different was the frequency of, of tropical, tropical storms, hurricanes. Yeah. yeah. So the forecast coming into this season in large part because of the forecast for El Nino was calling for seven to 12 hurricanes. And uh, we're at 12 right now. Wow. Right. And I, I think that we are at record accumulated cyclone energy for the East Pacific. We've had seven Cat 4 storms in East Pacific. It looks like the record high for hurricanes in the East Pacific is 16. 16. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 27 named storms have, have been the record. The number of named storms that we have right now are 23. 23. Okay. We may touch some of those records. Yeah, we may. And so this is what's interesting too, is that I believe this list of names is the same list of names that was used in 97. Ah. So the next name storm is Nora, which was the record breaking flooding event in September of 1997 that flooded out the lower Colorado River Valley. And it was something like a billion dollars of ag losses there. So it's interesting that we're like the next name storm the season's not over. I think we're in the crosshairs, quite honestly. Yeah. And the coincidence of that is that 97, was 97 98, it was an El Nino, El Nino yep. the strongest El Nino yep. on record. And we're sort of tracking mm-hmm. close to a little bit behind, but a little bit behind in terms of sea surface temperatures. Yep. Yeah. Currently. So, so just sort of an eerie, weird convergence of timing and lists and, and all those kinds of things. But yeah, so if something else pops up, which I think is highly likely. I don't, there's, there's no reason to not have more stuff formed on there. It's still very, very warm. And the risk of landfalling now is quite high because we've, we've now sort of moved into even stronger sort of southwesterly, westerly flow with the storms. The storms are already starting to line up north of us, which is great, but that brings that risk through October. So I think October is still, you know, October we, we think of here in Arizona is at least my 15 year tenure here is I just wait for the days to get shorter and for it to get cooler. And it typically is dry all the way through Halloween. And then um, you look towards November to start seeing the storms pick up here. But I, I think this this month has potential to be really interesting. And there's even uh, tropical moisture sloshing up this way uh, in a couple days. So, you know, we, we may start off the beginning of October with more um, precipitation as well. So before we, we move on, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into uh, a few things about the monsoon. So if you were to look at um, Tucson, like I was drawing from before, at the very least, it's been slightly above average. It's ranked sort of in the middle uh, in the last 68 years, which is how long the the record is. Temperature has been the second warmest on record. But if you just move to Tombstone, which isn't too far away, you get a good sense at how variable this monsoon is. And Tombstone, which has a longer record going back to uh, about 112 years, its precipitation rank was the 95th of that 112. So that would be the 17th or 18th driest on, on record. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've gotten some, some indication for some folks in Southeast Arizona that there were a couple of dry spots. My, my concern about the Tombstone record is, is that I see four missing days four missing days and that's the funny thing about out here is that since yeah, you miss one of those you days. miss one of them yeah. could have been the two incher and well, that could have been the one that and that that's completely normal out here they could actually be at average and i'm not totally sure 
So, but what I've heard about Southeast Arizona is I, I talked to some of the range management extension folks a couple of days ago out there and they said, it's just fantastic that the timing of the precip and the amount of precip in July was perfect to set everything in motion. And there was just enough precip to sort of carry through the season, even though it did tail off, the range conditions look really, really good. And you sort of look across Arizona now, and it is lush, 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 lush everywhere. And this is coming off of two last summer, very, very wet across much of the state, especially Southeast, Central and, and Northern. An okay winter, a wet spring, an okay monsoon season, again, another summer season. It's been enough to grow like fine biomass and vegetation or what we would consider also fine fuels to the point where I'm actually now thinking that the next time it dries out here in Arizona, we're in trouble. <laughs> and again, we're going to continue to talk about the El Nino event, which will throw even more the low deserts now given some October rains, once we get October rains, you start to grow annuals in the low deserts. And this is where a spring wildflower season. So we're going to, we're going to have carpets of vegetation from Yuma all the way up to the high country, completely connected. It's going to be like the hills of Ireland here pretty soon that won't stay that way, right? It'll turn yellow and brown maybe next spring. And, you know, we're already knowing that El Nino's don't last forever. When's our rebound La Nina event going to emerge on us? And here I'm already just sort of bringing it down. You know, I'm like the party party downer right here is that we hit another, we're going to be looking ahead towards situation with extreme fire danger. So I can't even, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even live it up when it's wet here and we don't have to talk about drought. I'm already sort of looking we, forward. Well, you to know, we haven't actually pessimistic. talked about drought in a very long time. I know I, it's amazing. We should yeah. skip it. We'll just to skip it. Yeah. It is probably worth mentioning though, because the monsoon season usually ends the the fire the fire season and new mexico on average experiences well they're they're median since 1990 their median number of acres that burn uh each each year is about 200,000 this year it was 46,000 yeah arizona was slightly above their their median their median is about 100,000 and so far it's been 150,000 acres burned yeah and i think a lot of Probably a lot of those acres are actually wildland fire use, where they're actually shoving fires around when they started with lightning. I mean, we had we yeah had because a the monsoon the onset of the yeah. monsoon and that that June precipitation really actually helped uh, yeah. fire management. I think it did, and, and I think some of the breaks we had a fire start here on the Catalinas north of town that they let burn. Uh, I don't think they touched it once, and then it got doused on its own, um, which is what you want to do. You want to use those opportunities. I think, and then maybe to to try to put a bow on this too is. New Mexico's monsoon season, they had a, they were off to the races early and did really, really well. Kind of that same burst of activity that we had in the end of June, um, beginning of July. And their July, their July was, July was fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. But, but August was a, a bit quiet. Mm -hmm. And um, September, they've had a couple of events that have crept in from the east. Um, so it's not really been monsoonal. It's actually been kind of other sort of mid-latitude storm, storm kind of stuff. So they finish at some, I think, pretty amazing numbers. I think 90% uh, of the state is at average or better. But a lot of that occurred earlier in the season and was really front-loaded. Like they, they, they raced ahead and they met a lot of their average totals early and then just sort of hung out at that. So it's, you know, it's a question of is that as useful as getting sort of even progression of precipitation over the season? Like Albuquerque had all that rain early on and then paced out a little bit through August and then it got really quiet had another big event in middle of September, and then that's kind of it. So it's it's not unlike what we saw last year where the inverse was like Phoenix, pretty quiet, and then does all their rainfall in one event in September. So it's sort of flipping it on its head. So it's kind of that pacing and frequency of events. What do you give 
what's your you're gonna give it a a letter grade or a number grade? I give it a pass or, or fail. You oh, know, I'm, I'm one of those yes. graders. Yeah. Wow. No satisfactory. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's too complicated. Yeah, yeah, fair you enough. know, it's yeah. just pass or fair. fail. Okay. And if you show up, you pass. <laughs> right. Ugh, no, no, no. And, and I and I'm saying this. Kind of raise your bar. <laughs> I'm saying this because I think that the monsoon passed this year because you know it wasn't a dud. You know, it wasn't yeah. a dud anywhere. Yeah, I don't I think agree. you could you could classify it a, a, as a dud. And I agree. Yeah. You know, it also wasn't like, ex- I wasn't blown out, out of the water. I was but blown you, out of the how water. Would you, give, few... would you give them a pass plus or something like that? I don't even, what's your grading scheme here? No, because I think there's so much variability in the monsoon that it sort of belies some sort of, you know, neat way to, way to, yeah. way to classify. You mean like so, the, this, the course syllabus isn't well-defined? <laughs> it's hard to know how to pass this class. But by what, by what metric, you know, I, it, it's funny because I was asked the question, and somebody was paying attention to uh, social media and they, they were saying that there's been all of these social media comments about how, how great the monsoon is. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's a really weird way to, to judge the monsoon because yeah. you're just having, I mean, it's going to be raining somewhere hard someday. And you're, yeah. you're what you're just, fil- you're just filtering out those. those- uh, it's, and we know this cause we've talked yeah. about this and. You know, this will be the year we do it. The per capita monsoon index. Yeah, the per capita. So I like. I really like that. Yeah, and in, you know, Phoenix. When it rains in Phoenix and Tucson, it's great. And when it doesn't, it's a terrible monsoon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, I know if you go way, around the rest know, of the state. So I was saying this we before. Forget. It's sort of an accident, yeah. existential experience. You know, every, everybody. <laughs> the, the monsoon is what it is to a particular person. It is, and I think it's really it's useful for us to kind of go over all these data because I get lulled into believing it was either a great or terrible monsoon just based on my house, right? <laughs> and it it's been actually interesting as you look at the rain gauge, it's just a so Tucson as an example. We got almost 8 inches of rain on the east side of town at our house, which is by all accounts very very good. There are middle parts of town that got 4 inches of precip total. The top of the Rincons got 22 inches of rainfall, and Mount Lemon at its very peak got 31 inches of precip. So, I mean, and these are all locations that are within 10 miles of each right. other. It's all sort of reference back to what your expectations are. But even just across the valley, you know, some people got twice as much precip as other people in just parts of Tucson, which is really crazy. <laughs> so, one really, of, what, really remarkable. so one of my unofficial metrics is whether or not there is a few days that I can get really awesome photos of the monsoon. And you've, oh, Zach, you got to post some because you've got some <laughs> absolutely fantastic photos this year. Yeah, they there really is a, need there, to and there was a few days, you know, and, yeah, I, and I'm yeah. satisfied, but you know, that is, that is a completely non-climatologist well, way of looking okay, at it. Okay, so the, is photogeny a word? Photogen, photogenesis, <laughs> photogenesis, photogenesis. The, how, fo, <laughs> how photogenic the monsoon is. <laughs> This season, I mean, the, the photos coming out of Phoenix with the, the way the storms were sort of progressing, they were very sort of modular and they would move into the valley and they would just be fantastic for, they wouldn't make any rain <laughs> at anyone's <laughs> but house. They, but they, they were, were aesthetic. Yeah, very photogenic this yeah. year. And there's some fantastic pictures outside Phoenix. And we had the same, I think, as well. So yeah, that's a, that's a research question in its own right. You know, I think most people are really looking to see whether or not it fills up the rain gauge. And and by all counts, I think most people in Arizona are happy, uh, kind of on an averageish basis. So it it passed in my book. You give it a C, C plus, C plus. I was a, you know I, I saw a little bit of hustle at the end. Granted, it wasn't really its own hustle. It was a little bit of tropical storm stuff. But hey, it, you know, at least it's some effort. Okay, well, we'll come back in a month or so, and by then. You know, maybe there'll be a, a, a Hurricane Nora-ish Boy, to talk about. Boy, would that be about. something to talk about, yeah. We're also going to be ramping up into 
more of the El Nino impact. So we're going full Wolf Blitzer situation room with uh, with El Nino <laughs> here too. And so we'll have to get a scroll bar yeah, of uh, and weather we information in here. We didn't talk about El Nino, uh, so we'll we'll leave we'll leave it at that. But uh, yep. we did mention that it is tracking as one of the 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 two or three largest events on record. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting things at play. Um, another westerly wind burst is is underway, which may end up throwing a little more energy at it. So, I, yeah, I don't think this one's done. And we're, not, we're not concerned that it's going to just pack it up and leave anytime soon. So it's it's the thing to talk about for the next six months. So we'll do that. Yep. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll leave the monsoon in the rearview mirror. Absolutely. And uh, it was good. Adios, monsoon. Adios, monsoon. We'll see you next year. All right, so thanks everybody for tuning in and um, we'll come back at you in a, in a month or so. The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of Climus, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a principal investigator with Climus, a professor of soil, water, and environmental science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences and climate extension specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a research scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA Program Manager of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, Research Outreach and Assessment Specialist with Clemus. If we actually read and prepared, we would we would have this <laughs> have this at our at our fingertips.